Welcome to the Power of Makeup, brought to you by Timely Business Management Software. With over 30 years' experience working in the beauty sector, no one quite understands the industry like Millie Kendall, MBE. From sales assistant to brand owner, junior to CEO, Millie has seen it all. When she founded the British Beauty Council in 2018, which aimed to represent the voices, opinions and needs of the industry, she had no idea just how important it would become during the pandemic. Today she reveals how her tenacity and passion has taken her to number 10 and how she already has the next fight on her hands. Hi Millie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for um, having me. This podcast, um, it's just amazing because um, you know I've known you for a long time but not like as close as we got to yeah. from when we were fighting for the British Beauty Council. It was right? that it was that sort of um, the COVID experience. It kind of like shrunk the industry, but brought it all together into like this little, like really strong, tight network. Yes, um, 100%. And I think we, we'll, we'll talk about how we sort of did that. But I just wanted to sort of just see, um, talk about your link for the industry. Um, obviously, you are Millie Kendall, OBE, and previously MBE. Yeah. And um, that's for your services for the industry and cosmetics, right? So the MBE yeah. was for services to cosmetics, to the cosmetics industry, and this mm -hmm. one was for services to hair and beauty. Very good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, and you know, when we did Clubhouse, I did introduce you, didn't I, and talk to yeah. you as well, and we had conversations, and I found it very interesting, obviously. With what you're doing, you're bringing everything to the forefront, and there's a few key people, you know, as long, alongside you yeah. with all the other federations, and Sonia from The Telegraph. Yeah. You know, we all sort of helped campaign, and you... Um, you know, you brought it to Parliament, really. Yeah. Um, you I mean, led it, the way. It was kind of, it was the intention to work with government. So if, even mm. if you look back at our like original mission yeah. statement, it was all about um, working with policymakers and business leaders. And that was like the, but the first sort of piece of work was to raise the reputation of the industry. So we'd already started working with government when COVID hit. Yeah. And, and actually the reason why we got Oxford Economics to do the value of beauty, which was the economic valuation, yeah. was because Oxford Economics actually do a lot of work with the government already. And, I mean, kudos there, because they really brought in the numbers that really, I think, shocked everybody, don't you yeah. think? Do you know what it was? It wasn't, mm. I don't think it was like, it, it wasn't one individual organisation mm. or one individual person that, that it, what, it, what it was is those numbers were intended to give our industry confidence that's why we did it. Mm. And when COVID hit and everyone was ignoring us, it gave us all a platform and a voice and something to say mm. about our industry. We could have just said, oh, woe is me, look at us, we're really struggling, you know, we're really screwed because of COVID, but everyone was. Yeah. So it what that wasn't a standout statement. Saying that we are a 28.4 billion pound a year industry that brings in more to the British, um, you know, the, the British uh, Treasury than car manufacturing or pubs is much more impactful. And then, because the, thing, the yeah. thing that I remember was that um, I had a lot of people thanking me, not for what I was doing, mm. but for giving them a voice, yeah. for making them feel really confident to write to their MPs and yeah. that kind of stuff. Because yeah, I think by simplifying in just that, in those sentences, 
and those numbers and when you're looking at all their different industries and how what third yeah. third highest yeah. it's like when you talk to your normal friends then do you know that we are the third and they're like mm. oh, did not know that like because normally you're used mm. to being the person in the room that when you're having at a dinner party and somebody mm. says to you what do you do for a living you're like makeup artist and they go what mascara should i use yeah or your hairdresser or what shampoo should i use I'm yeah. interested in your political view or how much money you make or, you know, yeah. it's like we're so sort of pigeonholed. There's such a sort of linear mm. perception of our industry. But actually, you can work freelance, you can work the hours you want, you can wear what you want, you can earn what you want, as long as you're willing to put the hard work in. And actually, it's a really, it's like, it's like being an artist, but not waiting till you die to make money. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Because you can make money while you're actually doing your art. It's and, amazing. You know, and that's when I'm teaching. I always tell people, like, you know, when there's icons out there that are alive and mm. doing stuff, yeah. like, I don't know, um, you know, like Phyllis Cohen yeah. or, you know, yeah. Charlotte Tilbury or Val. Lisa Eldridge, you know, and yeah. Val Garland. Yeah. You know, all these people, they're living around us. They're working every day and they're like, you know, legends yeah. and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. you think about even like the income, back then when it was such a small industry it was huge yeah, yeah, yeah. but nobody really knew yeah, about it yeah um so i think you know this has really brought it to the forefront and i, and yeah. I think our industry i think the mm. sort of the valuation of our industry will continue to grow like i was um oh my eyes stopped behind my ears um <laughs> they i was um somebody asked me this today earlier do you think it's going to expand and his irony is that during covid more nail salons and beauty salons opened on the high street then, yeah, so we are. Yeah. So if you look at like, if you look at retail overall decreased on the high street, businesses closed, mm-hmm. doors shut, people shut their businesses, walked away from them. But our industry actually grew. Why do you think that is, Mummy? I think because a lot of people decided that they wanted to live their dream. I think people really wanted to just own their own business, open their little premises, do nails, whatever it was they wanted to do. And I think that um, some, maybe some of the bigger businesses closed, people went out on their own. Yeah. But we had an increase in, this is premises-based businesses, 2.2% during the two years of COVID. That's crazy. I'm not acting like COVID's not over, guys, just no. saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're I mean, pretending like it is, but it's not. But, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of remarkable that that we, and we, and we bucked the trend because we were the only industry that actually saw an increase on the high street. The only industry the out of only everything the UK. Out of mm. everything, it was beauty, barbering, and nails. And I mm. think nails, beauty, and barbering all kind of saw an increase individually of like 8%, but overall it was like 2.2%. And it's just, it's insane, really, when you think about it, the growth of our sector. And so when everyone's saying, oh, it's going to shrink, yeah, some elements of it will, like mm. department stores shut, but e-commerce increased mm. by pretty much the same as department yeah. stores shut. So, and what I'm really proud of is, as well, is that the the knowledge increase. It really brought all awareness, those industries to yeah. awareness, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to the forefront. Like the normal person now would talk about barbering or talking yeah. about hair yeah. or beauty. You know, it's a normal conversation now, rather than going, "No, oh, you're just." In, Sometimes I forget I mean, actually how 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 we did that i mean i really do like you can because just i'm so in it all the time you kind of don't don't often stop and think oh my god we totally changed the perception of our industry in three years yeah and also like if i go back into your history of like the brands even though you're not a makeup artist but you've been involved in all brands so Mm. you know shirimura aveda tweezman to name a few but the one you're really known for is like ruby and millie obviously 
which I always say ahead of your time. Yeah, probably what a it was. Bit ahead of our time, mm-hmm. probably a little bit crazy. Um, I was at an event yesterday, a conference, yeah. and people often come up to me and go, I met you before I know you from somewhere. You're like, no, yeah. you don't really know me. Because I think people remember that, my face your from face. Ruby and Millie, because yeah. it was in a hundred and... Oh, my face was in 140 stores. That's the horrible thing to think about. But anyway, it was like, you know, hundreds of stores up and down the country. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I don't look like that anymore. It was 20 Me years too. ago. But it's, it's but it's, um, it is more than 20 years ago, actually. It was 1997, 98, something like that. Gosh, but how did you, I mean, we could talk about the partnership, but yeah. in terms of your... Your first moments with makeup. What made you fall in love with makeup? I mean, how? Oh, you know, so cause you I, were in. So I was. A, yeah. yeah. So I was a hair. So I, hairdresser first, right? Yeah. So I, my dad's mm-hmm. a hairdresser. So I worked for yeah. Tony and Guy. I did an pre- apprenticeship there, and then I ended up working for a couple of salons in LA because my dad lived in LA, and then I ended up going to New York and I worked for Bumble and Bumble. Worked for Michael Gordon at Bumble and Bumble, and I was still an assistant. So it was like six years on. I'm yeah. still a, fl- a flipping assistant, and it was yeah. like. No, it was about maybe five years on. And it was like, I was never, I don't know why, I never really felt that confident with doing hair. Mm. I loved the clients. I loved shampooing people's hair. I loved making coffee for everyone. But I was not interested in, I did. I don't understand. Yeah. Hair, cutting hair is very geometric. Yeah. It's like, a, it's geometry, isn't it? It's angles. Mm. It's all about the angle. The angle you blow dry, the angle you cut it at. Geometry I'm not good at. I'm good at algebra, but not geometry. Yeah. And I and yeah. I don't get the color either. I kind of get the color a little bit better, yeah. like the sort of the grades of color. I kind of get that. But anyway, while I was working at um, Bumble and Mumble, they had like a little area um, where they had some makeup, and they had Mac, William Tuttle, and I want to say a bit of ill maquillage. So William mm. Tuttle was this amazing Hollywood makeup artist who had a makeup range that was really sort of very like derma blend kind of mm, product yeah and then obviously il maquillage is quite a well-known makeup brand they had a store around the corner as well and mac was from toronto and it, they didn't have any stores they just sold in two salons mm, so wow. originally mac mm. was a salon brand anyway i just used to stand there all day playing with makeup i just loved it i just it was just it felt really natural to me but you I didn't loved the color the texture yeah. the but you didn't want to become a makeup artist, even though you were doing hair. You could have transferred into being a makeup Or was yeah. it not around the, that sort of I don't of have the patience for it. I, don't, mm. I can do one side of a face really well. And generally, the kind of thing that I would do yeah. is something that sort of will look good on a runway, but not look good in a picture. I can, do, I can create a very good visual mm. that will look great, but yeah. not necessarily close up. But I can... So, so I became friendly with lots of makeup artists yeah. and we would go, you know, sit in my bathroom and go, if you put this blue on and why didn't you put this on here? Yeah. And, you know, so I would, you would, I like to design things or yeah. create things, but not necessarily do them myself. I always say like my, my brain works like a makeup artist, mm. but my hands won't do what my brain tells it to. So how <laughs> did you make it work? You know, so when you were learning that, I mean, um, where did you go from there? Um, well, I kind of opened, so that I, I ended up um, losing my job at Bumble and then I, because um, uh, I was out clubbing too much, and then <laughs> I ended that. up getting a job at Shuamora. Uh-huh. Well, actually what happened was I lost my job at Bumble. I ended up getting a job in a restaurant 
I lost my apartment. I was it was a terrible. I was like nineteen. I was a bloody mess. So my dad said yeah. you have to come home. So I went back to LA, and my dad said, "Okay, what are you going to do?" I was like, "I don't know. I don't want to do hairdressing. I'm not good at it." And so he said, "A friend of his had opened up a store. Uh, she was a manager of a store. It's called Shuemura. They'd opened it in Century oh. City in LA. It was the first one that they'd opened outside of Japan." Mm. And um, he said, did, "Did I want to go work for her?" And I did. But very soon after I started work, working for her, she walked out. She oh. left the business, and everyone, all the other women that worked there in solidarity, walked out with her. Oh wow! And my da- dad told me to go and get a job. Ah, and so you did. I went back and I said to the, called the bosses, these Japanese guys, and I just said, "I'll do it." And, and then, what yeah, was that? What was that role? What was the role that you have? Because I'm just trying, trying to dissect. Yeah, where so because it was one store, it was just yeah. a shop manager at that time. Mm. But then they wanted to open another one in New York, and then I got, I was taken to Japan, and because the shops when I, the shops turned a profit really quickly from being like loss making to profit making, mm-hmm. like within a couple of months. Mm. So they were really impressed. So they wanted to know what I did. So they asked me if I would go to Japan. So I went to Japan, mm. and then they um, asked me to. Uh, come to Europe, open it here. So I opened one up the road. Up the road, as in Harvey Nichols. Oh, oh it's Harvey Nichols. Mm. Oh, and okay. then we had we had Paris, Stuttgart, Barcelona, Amsterdam. It was great fun. And then from there, did you move? How how did you? Because you were running every the business, but. Yes, yeah, so Ruby used to come in mm. all the time. Um, so I'd met Ruby at the Shawmore Boutique in yeah. Harvey Nichols when we first opened it. She used to come in a lot. Anna Marie Solovey, who was beauty yeah. editor at Elle at the time, mm. was doing a shoot with her one morning, and the mm. three of us met basically because yeah. um, I was cleaning the shop and they were doing a shoot yeah. on Ruby. It was a, sh- a feature for Elle magazine called Portrait of a Makeup Artist. Mm. There was a picture of Ruby holding all these amazing red Shawmore yeah. long makeup brushes, which was really beautiful, and. We all became friends, really. And then Ruby used to come in and shop all the time. George used to drive her and George Hammer used to bring her in on his motorbike um, every Saturday and she would come. And I would like, it would be so busy and I would get Ruby to help my customers. Oh, brilliant. Because they would come in, I'd go, they'd like, you know, how do I put this on? I'm like, oh, sure, help you, she's a makeup artist. So we just sort of built up this relationship. And then then, um, Ruby and George wanted to bring Aveda over to the UK. And I knew, mm. my dad knew Horst Reckelbacher because Horst was a hairdresser yeah. and had worked in my dad's salon on Melrose Avenue in LA. It's a long story, but Horst said that he would give them the distribution if I was in the contract as a key person. Yeah. So I said to them, well, I'll do it. And we went out for dinner, George, Ruby and I, and George was like, look, come work for me and launch a Vader with me. Was and it. I was like, I can't leave Shuamura because oh. I'd worked for them for like eight years. I loved yeah. that brand. It was like my favorite thing ever. Do you feel like um, it sort of led you and gave you the grounding for then for the branding then with Ruby and Millie then to go into design? You know? I think, yeah. I mean, it was very much, if yeah. you look at everything from Ruby and Millie, it's very much inspired by shoe. Mm. Even down to like the numbering, because I found it like the most, to me, Shaw Mora was perfection. Mm. Absolute perfection. I liked, and I understood numbers in terms of like, Hues. I understood yeah. a spectrum of color. I understood yeah. that one was white and two was yellow and three was orange. And even though she wasn't quite like that, she was very a bit different. Mm. But to me, I, it had to make sense. And I grew up. I'd grown up with that. It was all I knew, really. Mm. Like I didn't think makeup should have names. <laughs> I mean, like what is that? You know. 
I mean, I don't and know. And whose names are you going to put on it? We had 365 SKUs that we launched. Yeah. That we had to develop in two years. Everything had to have a number. and Because I, I could, mm. if somebody said to me, oh, uh, 650 or whatever it was, I could say, oh, yeah, that's a blue, a mid-range blue with a little bit mm. of green in it. Yeah. I could, like, remember, I know what that is. Yeah, so do you think that as brands, because now you represent loads of different brands and you consult yeah. and, and yeah, help yeah, with startups. Yeah, yeah. So do you think, is that a thing going forward, like, because people do ask about names and brands and nobody gets it, is it? I don't know, I just think, I mean, the weird thing was is that it was way ahead of its time because nobody yeah. got the numbers thing. I mean, we yeah. launched in Boots, they were like, this numbers thing is a nightmare. You should have <laughs> named everything. I was like, really, why? Because like, people don't remember numbers. I'm like, I remember numbers. I just, <laughs> to be honest with you, I got, yeah. I got a chance to like make my dream brand. I didn't care whether people didn't remember the numbers. Yeah. I knew them all. I could tell you exactly like, you know, 245 was an iridescent, pearlized pink, white, or whatever. You know, I could remember everything. It was just, yeah. you know, it's a funny sort of, you can, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it, how different people, which is what I'm saying about, like, mm. the hairdressing thing. Like, I don't get the geometry of it. I just don't get it. It's not, I don't, it's not natural to me. I wasn't good at geometry at school. Mm. I was really good with numbers. Yeah. And algebra. Yeah. So I completely get the number thing, but I don't get the angles. The name. I still couldn't tell you if this room was like 20 feet or 200 meters. I, I would not be, I've got no perception of distance. Mm. But I mean, I think like- It's weird, it's weird isn't it? People see different things. Yeah, everyone sees yeah. things different. I mean, and when it comes to like makeup, like you've seen so many changes. Um, what, what sort of stands out in your mind? like? pros and cons I mean because we'd say if I was say pro back then it was like it was such a big buzz everything's out there yeah do you, do you know what think, yeah that's what's the change now what's... the change the thing I dislike yeah. the most I mm. think the change that I dislike the most is the sort of overabundance of new launches all the time and it's like when we when we did it it was like you'd have two drops two launches a year or four a year max mm. so you were really excited by it I walk into my office every single day. There are boxes piled high on my desk mm. every day. I can't bear it. It's like I don't. There's so much stuff. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, you don't go through it and just see. I do, so, yeah. but the the what I take home and what mm. I give away is what I take home is minimal compared to what I give away, and and I would say that when I give it to the team in the office. Mm they're probably looking at it going, oh my God, not more stuff again. You know, it's like, it's too much stuff. It's too much stuff. Um, I, don't, I don't know if we need it. Because you, mm. you, I think the thing is, is that if you kind of like go through your makeup bag, or go through your makeup box or whatever, there are sort of things that you really love and things that you really use. Mm. And then there are, and there are things that work. And actually, all the other stuff is rubbish. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? It's not... <laughs> Yeah, but the bottom line then, it is a business, isn't it? And, you know, people always want new things, isn't it? They don't just want to just... I mean, what I try to do is, once I find something, unless something better comes along, I don't stray from yeah, it. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah but, fair enough. So basically, everyone used to use Max by Slip Liner, and now a lot of people use Pillow Talk. Yeah. But, you know, in my entire lifetime, there's only been two lip liners. What like ones? we don't well mac the spice and billet, you don't really need <laughs> anything do you know what i mean oh, yeah. that's sort of, do you know that's what i'm saying it's yeah. like it's sort of everything else sort of pales into comparison so why, why do you need all the others 
Yeah. I'm not saying you, brands shouldn't have lip liners. Actually, Jamie Genevieve has some really good lip liners. But, <laughs> you know, there, there are others. Yeah. But do, do you know, I think, I think it's more about actually, you know, the how how they, they sell it, I suppose, and how they market it. Because I guess if people are going in for a quick buck, you know, they're probably just re rebuying whatever is on the market, isn't it, from mm. a manufacturing company. So what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe things have to change. I mean, I, th- I, th- I do think things industry. should change. If you look at something like mm. Elizabeth Arden, Atar Cream, nobody I've ever interviewed, so I always ask this question when I interview mm. people, name one iconic product that maybe your grandmother, your mother or somebody's used. Mm. Every girl, every single girl I've ever interviewed, and pretty every boy says Atar Cream, Elizabeth Arden, mm. Atar Cream. Everybody I know uses it. Everybody's got a tube of it. Elizabeth Arden decided to remove the fragrance and do the non-fragrance Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream, and it was rubbish. Yeah, it sorry, Elizabeth Arden. <laughs> um, but you know, and I don't know. And and then they sort of they tried to they did the lip balms and they did mm. that they and really what really sells is the Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream in a tube. Yeah, and the thing is, I guess you know um, that's that's the that is yeah. the bread and butter. Um, okay, so obviously, if people are looking at you as a, you know, as a brand leader or you know, um, as a PR, and they want to start up a brand because I think mm. so many people just want to start up. Yeah. What's the first thing they should be looking at? Well, you need to do your research and you do your mm. homework. I'm I'm really shocked sometimes by how many people don't really know the market. Mm. Um, and you have to. You get a lot. I get a lot of people standing in front of me going, "I'm. I've got. I." I've got this challenge and I couldn't find anything that would fix this. Oh my God, I could tell you about a dozen things that could do that. Or, you know, I couldn't find anything to do smoky eyes. Really? Oh my God. You know, yeah. and so if you don't do your homework, it can't, you can't, it, it will fail because you you have to do your homework. Like I've seen women that have gone, we, here's my friend, we met on the play, we met in the playground and we thought we'd develop a candle with three wicks. Oh, for God's sake. You know, like, I know it sounds really like, yeah. I sound so jaded, but the thing yeah. is, is that you need to really, like, do mm. your homework. Like, really look, mm. do a deep dive into the industry. You cannot throw, you know, it's a real shame to put money into something mm. and it not survive. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's got less chance of survival if it's already been done before. Yeah, and who did you know um, on a personal level? Like, who was the one that supported you during all these sort of ventures? Because you've done so much. Uh, um, industry friends, family, like. That's really weird. That's really. Who who do you look up to? Because obviously you're like the mama for a lot. Um, for a lot of people. No, like, I think it's probably. Or? I always say Mary Greenwell. I don't know why. Yeah, Mary Greenwell's just a constant for I me. I love Mary now. So you know, like not Ma- like I didn't before. But Mary sent like, me a message the other day and went, yeah. "I've known you since you were a baby, darling. I love you." You know, just out of the blue, uh, Mary. From the minute I went yeah. out on my own and I left mm. a company that I worked for, it was Mary. And then my friend Tracy, she passed away last year, sadly, but we worked together mm. from like the day when we were at Shoe. So I hired, she was the first person I hired at Shoe Amora when I yeah. first took over that store. Because oh, she was a wow. friend of a friend. Yeah. She was in LA, she was English. And um, she needed a job. And I was like, and she was English living in America. No visa, no green card, mm. nothing, no bank account. And I was like, come work for me. I didn't know she needed to get all that stuff yeah. at the time. It was in the 80s. So, but she was absolutely like, I don't think I ever made a business decision without Tracy. The thing is, I'm mm. not a hairdresser. I'm not a makeup artist. Yeah. 
I do a job that before I did it didn't really exist. Yeah. So there wasn't really sort of, my job didn't really exist. So I feel like there's no, I'm no threat to anybody because I'm not training on anyone's toes because I'm yeah. doing something nobody's ever done. But, Dumb, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's I sort mean, of slightly... During the pandemic, like, you you literally quiet because you were at the table with Parliament. Yeah. You know, like, how did it feel, like, to have that seat at the table? I mean, it must have been so I drained. mean, I guess the thing was is that I'm yeah. quite... I, I get quite... Uh, you know when, like, you're an empath and you take on, like, the sort of woes of other people? I think mm. I'm sort of like that. Yeah, your and energy. I, and I... Um, I had so many stories of people panicking and worried and you could hear it in people's voices and you talked to so many people and just the volume of people I was talking to at the time was very, very upsetting and very emotional. And then we were, and the government had no clue about our industry and it's no fault of their own. The people that we worked with, the civil servants, had been given this job to kind of try to figure out who was a part of our industry and what they could do to help us, but they didn't really have a clue. And so we had to sort of build from the bottom up. There was nothing there. There was no um, government sector, really, or mm. no sector represented at government level. Um, so I brought the government to a webinar. I asked them to come yes. on a webinar and talk to our industry. And, oh God, I feel really emotional just thinking about it. Because it's when Deja... Yeah. Ayadeli started crying and sobbing, like, really deeply. Deja. Mm. On this webinar. Oh, my God, it was so... And and this woman from, from one of the civil servants from government was on yeah. the webinar. Mm-hmm. And I thought, shit, I brought this poor woman onto this webinar. And, like, Deja's hysterical. And then I think, oh, God, who else was it? Well, I mean, to be honest, another, there was a nail tech came mm-hmm. on, and then I think yeah. there was that lovely girl from Sugaring London, and it was like a series of people like crying. Yeah, can't oh, feed my kids. You. What am I going to do? Yeah, brings tears to my so, eyes. It was so emotional. And then, and I, she yeah. got off, and, and her name. Oh, she was such a lovely woman. Her name was Roz, and and she because she was trying to help them and give them like details and advice and stuff, but they just started crying. And she didn't know what to do. And it was like a complete nightmare. We were on that webinar for two and a half hours. And she got off that night and I sent her a message at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, Ros, I am so sorry. She goes, I, I'm, she goes, I'm broken. I'm just broken. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, I like, I've got a tissue. need a tissue. But <laughs> oh, it was. <laughs> or in the Sorry, that's box. such a sort of like, oh, no, it's such I'm, a weird... I know how much it means to you it, because it's and like... And it feels a bit like, and you, feel, you get yes. to a point where you feel a little bit traumatised by it. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever get over that moment. Like, it was so traumatising. It was like... Because when you realise how... It's like, you know, yeah. you've got like, people said, I can't feed my kids. And like, you're like, yeah. Jesus Christ, like, this is like a, a fucking nightmare, yeah. you know? Yeah. What I really love about my job is, I'm with you today, now, two hours ago I was with... 30 students from Fashion Institute Technology all working for big cosmetic brands mm. um, who've come over from New York to learn about the British Amazing. beauty industry. And then this morning I was sitting with Leslie Blair from Babtac, Caroline Hirons and Diane Hay from Habiat, you know, tra- you know, trade organisations. So um, I like that sort of constant mm. change because there's so many different bits of the industry. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, there is no title really for what you do. You literally are the mama of yeah, bringing sort of, people I'm, together. I'm, do you know mm -hmm. what? I'm a jack of all trades, master, you know, master of none. I'm, that was sort of part of the reason behind the industry was that Anna Marie and I were going to write a book called Beauty Boss because I'd had lots of different jobs yes, in the industry, mm -hmm. but I've never been brilliant at any of them. I'm just sort of good at some of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you kind of, but I've got quite a good view of the industry because yeah. I've done loads of different jobs. Yeah. But I went, when I went to um, <laughs> Buckingham Palace, last week and I and Prince I had Princess Anne give me my interview she sort of asked said about skills and she goes you must be very skilled to do what you do and I was like no actually I never qualified <laughs> and I thought oh that's quite funny actually well, that I she... never actually qualified to do anything I'm never qualified to do anything well what did, what did she say she was talking about the fact that she goes towards colleges and there's a lot of people that want to get into our industry and I mm. said, well, it's a very skilled industry. It's also very, you don't have to have a certain level of education. So it's very open mm. to a lot of people. And that's when she said, well, you must have a lot of skill. And I was like, and I thought, me? No, no. I yeah, but any. you've pretty much opened the doors for a lot of, a lot of things to happen. Yeah, so I think, that's a skill yeah. in that, no? Yeah, yeah. That, maybe, that is a, maybe that's a skill, yeah. But I never, you know, never really did hair, never really did makeup, you know. Yeah, but you can see it though, right? Yeah. So if I am um, sort of round it off with um, with a couple more questions. Um, to you, what is the power of makeup? What comes to your mind? Oh, God, that's a really difficult question. What is the power of makeup? But just from any, any uh, to sort me, of To it, me, it's mm. sort of, um, I mean, the obvious answer would be transformation or, mm. you know, in beauty, whatever. But I just think it just gives me joy. I can put it on my hand and it gives me joy. I don't even have to put it on my face. So the power of makeup to me is giving people joy. Okay, so, so if I say, like, if you were talking to somebody who knows nothing about makeup um, and the, the arrogant, maybe, person that thinks makeup is just a bit of... Oh, well, I mean, to me, it's historical. I mean, it gives you yeah. power. It, the power of makeup is power, really. It gives you power. I mean, you know, men wore it to go into battle, didn't they? So, you know... It's not, it's not, um, men probably wore makeup before women did. So, you know, for all you patriarchal naysayers <laughs> out there. Um, we'll have to look at so, that So, yeah, um, yeah, no, I think it's, yeah. I think it's powerful. Brilliant. Do you know what? It's, for me, it's a little bit warrior-like. I don't really like sort of the analogy of, you know, mm. putting on my war paint. Yeah. But actually, the term war paint is actually really quite indicative of what, of what that medium does. Yeah. You know, it makes you ready for battle. It's sort of, and actually, maybe that is what gives me joy, is because I'm a fighter and I like to have a good battle. It's and you've like, got all the yeah. shields of the yeah, makeup, yeah, yeah. hair, nails, everything, yeah. like all together. It is, it's I like feel like it's quite power. a powerful battle. Yeah, yeah. Creighton's and stuff. Thing. Um, okay, so uh, what's next for you, Millie? What, what are you really fighting do for with right a good now? Sleep. Um, <laughs> what's next for me? Just for uh, like for anyone to support the British Beauty Council. I'll tell you one thing. What can like, we do for okay, you? so this is like really geeky and it's slightly mm. sort of weird, but I'm, done, I'm not sure how to explain it. But basically, our industry has been um, uh, uh, evaluated for 74 years um, by, by a code. So there's a numeric code for our industry. They're called SIC codes, Standard Industrial Classification Codes, and then there's Standard Occupational Classification Codes. There's a SOC codes, and those are global, mm. literally global. Every country in the world uses okay. the same codes. 
and um, so ours is 9602 but the reason that you don't get a drop down menu when you're getting a loan or going somewhere or ordering something and they ask you for your occupation is because our code is part of another code which is mm. other services yeah so we're sort of embedded within funeral laundrettes all kinds of other things anyway mm. it's always pissed me off it's just something that really aggravates me and you know again it's one of those slightly geeky numeric things so I did a load of work a couple of years ago, actually started before COVID to try to figure out how to, in fact, it sort of started in 2019 because my mum died and I realised that the sick code, when I looked it up, was the same age as my mum. And I was like, that's weird. That's really fucking old. For us. And it's never <laughs> yeah. been updated. Wow. And I was thinking like, and then what happened with COVID was the reason the government don't know anything about our industry is because the code is so useless it gives them no data. They don't know how many makeup artists compared to hairdressers there are. If they say 65% of the industry, if you say 65% of the industry is freelance, we don't know whether that's beauty therapists, nail technicians, makeup artists, hairdressers. Mm. We haven't got a clue. So anyway, I ca I've campaigned to change the sick code. I think I might be successful, which will be the first time in 70-something years. Wow. And if we change it in the UK, it means it will change it, there's a chance it will change everywhere else in the world. Wow. Which will completely revolutionise our industry. And we might not notice it now, but like in a decade from now, our industry will be completely different. I'm convinced of it because of it. So change the SIT code. It's the most important thing. We need to update that SIT code. It's yeah. absolute rubbish that our industry is like all... It just the code Who says... Who is... In charge, that's a good. Who is the person that we need to find to change well, so, that? Well, so basically, it's um, so we've lobbied quite a bit, mm. but it goes through the Office of National Statistics. There's not a person, unfortunately. Oh. You go through the Office of National Statistics and then go to the NACE Review Board, which is the European Board, and then there's ISIC, which is the International SICO Board, and they're all nameless, faceless people. It's been really difficult. Even finding one person, I managed to find one two champions who have really helped they've helped me define what we want it to look like and what mm. how we want it and it, it won't be perfect the first review but now i know how to get it reviewed yeah so okay yeah but so i can we can continually kind of update it as as technology and our industry it evolves because our industry will continuously evolve and become different and different jobs you know pop up all the time you know i know it's it's just I so mean, amazing where everything is going we, we right didn't and have we haven't individual lash technicians you know mm. 20 years ago did we really i mean maybe a few but um yeah so that's it you fight for the sick code just be aware of it for now i'll let you know when we need a fight okay and let's finish up sorry one more question okay just going into the future this whole metaverse ar i mean yeah. what's your view in terms of looking at the whole industry you know, the as a whole. The only thing I think feel? of it because I'm like I'm not I'm actually quite techie, but I did actually think that I could go into the metaverse from my phone recently, and I didn't realise it didn't even exist yet. And yeah. I have a meeting with them tomorrow, Meta. Yeah. So um, what I think about it is, I think it's really interesting because it will be a way of purchasing makeup mm. that is sustainable mm. and not damaging to the planet. What made to order is, type thing I've rather than seen, I've always been yeah. like really th thought thinking about three D printing and stuff yeah. like that. Mm. So I've always been, what is a solution? Yeah, because plastic is really cheap. What is the solution for our industry? 
moving forward. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the metaverse. I'm um, keeping a really open mind about it because I don't, I, I'm, I don't know if, we, I don't know if what we think it is now is what it will be yeah. in the future. Like everything right. will change. It's like when we thought we'd all walk around in white suits and stuff. Um, and yeah, millennial. hover planes, yeah. Yeah, not quite, but it's getting closer. But I, but I think mm. it will have some benefits, yeah. and I don't necessarily know. It was, I mean, it's like the crypto thing. I mean, come mm. on. I mean, you know, five, six years ago, I yeah. was like, whatever. Bitcoin, NFTs, NFT. Bitcoin, crypto, that was a load of rubbish. Now it's like people are making a fortune off it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I still don't know what it is. But, you know, I think there's a sort of younger people will adopt the metaverse and we just have to let that happen. Mm-hmm.